Hi, Greg here. This week, we're pulling one out of the vaults, a show Matteo and I recorded between the end of the Tour of Switzerland and the beginning of the Tour de France. Late June. So, please forgive us if you've forgotten all about anything before the tour by now. We'll be back soon with fresh new episodes discussing the Olympic road races and more. In the meantime, I'd like to remind you that the Honest Bicycle Program comes to you on the Wide Angle Podium Network, a collection of awesome cycling-related podcasts. Uh, Now, we can't do this without your support, without your love, uh, crucially, without your dollars. So why don't you drop them by to WideAnglePodium.com and uh, become a member. Also, in the second half of August, we'll be kicking off the Wide Angle Podium Pledge Drive, so that'll all be coming soon. So stay with us, and now, let's get right into the conversation. Hello, this is in slow motion. We can just see every every step, and in such a small amount of time, he goes from, I'm going to try this, to, no, 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 yeah, it's it's makes for pretty remarkable viewing. So we're watching, and I know that this is this happened a couple weeks ago, but th- you know this is not what we do on the Honest Bicycle Program. We're we're not about like friggin' day after commentary. We get to things when we get to things, and that's fine. We're watching Danny Van Poppel. Yeah, I mean, in- after incredible... all, video is forever. Video is in the internet is forever. Yes. Watching Danny Van Poppel's incredible crash save in the Tour de Suisse, uh, the Tour de Suisse stage four finished with a, a pretty technical, narrow, twisty run-in with um, really two two right angle turns in the last 250 meters or so, and the last one came at about 150. Yeah, right so, at about right at about 100 meters. And it's narrow. I think the thing about this turn is that it's narrow. Maybe we can get to that later. But you got two quick step riders sprinting into the turn followed by Peter Sagan, and, and Danny Van Poppel is behind, and he just, he has this moment where he, he tries to dive inside Sagan right as everyone, like, is stopping pedaling and just starting the turn, and they it's right when they pass the 150-meter sign. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's narrow. It's, like, it's just two narrow lanes, you know? If it was a little bit more, if it was, like, a half a lane more, I think this would have been a lot more of a common corner, but this is, this is the kind of thing where, you know, you race some quick courses and you feel like it's a shoot more than a street. Um, he tries to dive inside in order to pass the gun, and he just doesn't have enough speed to get by. And uh, what happens is, I guess, well, it's more, he, well, go on, go on. Yeah. So you know, either he, some combination of he touches the brakes in a bad way, possibly he clips Sagan's rear wheel, and all of a sudden he's just like flying through the air on his front wheel. Landing, unclipping, skidding his rear wheel, sliding through the turn, and he winds up doing this power slide totally out of control, and his bike hits the barriers on the other side of the turn, and that's when he, like, gets upright. His bike is, like, his bike is horizontal underneath him until it hits the barriers and, like, comes back up, and, like, sort of, like, the horse finds the rider with that situation. Right. So, so yeah, so there's a reverse angle that um, I haven't found a link to yet that makes it a little bit more clear what happened, but... Um, before before we dissect it any fur- any further, um, one of the reasons to bring this up is this incident in this stage finish was the source of 
quite a lot of Sturmundrang after the stage about about how terrible this finish was and how dangerous it was, um, and that it was completely irresponsible for the Tour of Switzerland because that's what the race was: Tour of Switzerland Stage Four. Did we mention that? We probably did. Um, uh, yeah, I did, but I called it the Tour de Suisse, which is one of those ways of, of me showing how cultural. Yeah, I yeah, am. it's cycling hipster. Yeah, it's the hipster <laughs> name. Um, but that is what yeah, it's so... called, after all. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So this was the source of a lot of kind of rider commentary on Twitter about how terrible, um, terribly dangerous the stage finish was. And just quick clarifying question: Are you talking about uh, riders who were in the race? Um, or are you talking about yokels like us? Uh, professional riders. Okay. I don't know whether they were all necessarily in the race. Okay. Might have been watching it on TV. But they, but they, but they wear the same clothes as the people who are in the race. Yes, but they wear yes, and and not like having purchased them, you know, on Wiggle or something like that. Yeah, like they they get this kit for free. Right. So, so they, they so they've got. I would you know it's it's more than just because there are sometimes you know you got internet commentators just getting all stir crazy about things that many riders it's just not the same you know yeah people yeah. like us on the internet talking out of our orifices essentially essentially so um in, in terms of what happened uh i don't have the reverse angle in front of me but i've seen it and um you can it's it's not entirely clear whether he actually made contact with Sagan, but what what my assessment has been of, of what happened here is that Danny Van Papel set up inside Peter Sagan with the idea of dive bombing him um, through this turn, like to basically taking an inside line and um, getting through faster to get around him. Um, you know, presumably with the idea of launching his sprint right after that, because you come out of the turn at just before a hundred meters to go and that's not a particularly long sprint um so basically uh yeah use the turn to get a boost on your sprint but he didn't have room to do that as it turned out and sagan's line was coming across his and sagan's, re- sagan's line was like the severest like a- apexing of that turn you know i mean he was not right he was i don't even know if sagan was like trying to cut off the inside line a little bit but he was really just using all of the road and because it's worth it noting he was, was already coming file. far inside of the Edix Quick Step rider. Sagan was um, already trying to. Left. Sagan was trying to dive bomb Gaviria. Yeah, so it was a dive bomb of a dive bomb. Um, so, this is not a turn you can go through three wide. No, it isn't. So, so basically, there just wasn't room for that. And Sagan's line was coming across Van Poppel's line, and he realized, oh crap, like I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to crash into peter sagan there's, there's, there's no place to go here <laughs> yeah and he, like at you know best case scenario manny papel gets his uh, danny van um Poppel, i don't even know how you pronounce his name gets his front wheel swept out by sagan coming by and, and crashes himself worst case scenario like he takes sagan down with him so he gets on the front brake you can actually see you know that he's basically doing a nose wheelie as he realizes and he like severe like super. this is it's not subtle it's his rear wheel is in the air yeah it's crazy the reverse angle of it is really quite remarkable <laughs> in terms of like, how high like like, like the from the angle from the finish line yeah 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 because you just you just see him there's a couple people coming through the corner and then you just see him like flying through the air coming through the corner right and so of course when you break that hard that straightens you out and now he's headed for 
you know, the other side of the road on the other side of the corner without still with a lot of speed and not enough time to straighten out. And basically, um, through a combination of, uh, kind of good bike control and luck managed to save it. Like, like it was definitely both that you can't say it was just, um, amazing bike handling skills. Cause you, you kind of can't really count on doing like a wall ride off of the barrier feet, you know, <laughs> That's not something you can generally rely on to save your butt. His, his uh, bike is fully out of control, and he's just still with it. And then it just it bounces off the barriers, and and that's how he gets it back under control. Yeah, and I was in a scenario not unlike that just last night. And uh, let me tell you, uh, it did not end as well for me. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So so basically, this has been um, a lot of controversy. Uh, oh yeah oh right and it's worth noting i i almost forgot this um van poppel then got this is the thing that really got people mad uh van poppel got relegated for dangerous riding which that's a shame i don't i i think that's ridiculous i don't think that i don't think that what he tried to do was blatantly dangerous i think that it was it was an aggressive move that was combined with suddenly no longer the opportunity to do it but he did exactly what Sagan did it's just that he was unsuccessful yeah and he set up i i would say like these things are moving very fast these stages and you know it's like last turn you've got one more chance to try and get yourself in a more favorable position because if you're sprinting against like peter Sagan or like gaviria um by the way who won the stage <laughs> it, it was gaviria's young lead out man whose name i forget okay um started with an r okay probably still uh, starts with an r sure um so anyway uh you know if you're sprinting against like gaviria and sagan like you don't want to be starting with 100 meters to go on their wheel you want to be in front of them like makes sense um i mean and... this is this is like the, the sprint is fully engaged like at this point you're you're trying to pass people yeah, Even yeah. Even though there's so, a turn there, like you're just you're going. Yeah, and so there just wasn't room um, for that move. Like he he really set up too far inside, and you know. Uh, so what I was saying about this on on Twitter a couple weeks ago when it happened was, you know, it's 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 a little bit funny that there's so much kind of heaping of praise on Van Poppel um, because he did make an error. You know, like, that that just wasn't going to work. He was set up too far inside at too high a speed um, for that line to work. Like, he was he was apexing early, essentially, um, and that this was kind of a no-margin turn. That said, I don't mean that to say that, like, Danny Van Poppel actually sucks <laughs> at riding his bike and, like, you know, he should never try something like that ever. Like, things happen fast. Like, I understand that, you know. But, but there was the combination of... Um, and a very unforgiving turn, a slight error in setting it up, um, and and you know Sagan coming across his front wheel that so it, resulted in this. So do you, so Danny Van Poppel made an error. Do you think that Sagan also pulled a move that he shouldn't have done in that in that race? Um, no, I do think that he was kind of right at the limits of what was possible mm-hmm. um you know like I, I i don't know like a lot of 
error is kind of a very fluid thing when you're talking about like setting up a corner in a bike race because generally if you make it work um people are like oh yeah that's fine (laughs) and if you don't make it work that's when you know it's a mistake and that's and that's the point that i'll like harp on again is that like van poppel did to sagan exactly what sagan did to gaviria right it's just that because sagan did it to gaviria there wasn't room for van poppel to do it to sagan and you know this this circumstance changed in a second and a half right and and let's be honest like you know with with peter sagan like it's different when peter sagan does something like that versus he's he's a wizard (laughs) yeah exactly he's a wizard uh so everyone's kind of like oh that's 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 sagan that's doing what he does it's just amazing you know without kind of thinking about the kind of daredevil aspect of it as much um because he tends to pull these things off with a plum um so yeah anyway i don't know um i i guess the question here is somewhat divorced from the context of specifically what happened in this finish uh was this course design dangerous that's what i want to know hmm you know, with and and as noted, um, looking at it again, there was a corner at like two fifty, and then there's this other corner at one fifty. So there's m- yeah. like a hundred meters or less between two corners, and then uh, there's just over a hundred meters from this final corner to the finish line for a flat stage, or at least an anticipated sprint stage yeah so that's that's the question and, and I, I also want to say that these features are like not not uncommon to crit racing so why should no. why should they be especially dangerous no so it's not yeah it's, and it's worth noting like there are some things that are super obvious right like the crash that uh, peter stetna had last year in the vuelta where there literally were like metal poles in the road just un, unprotected bollards yeah up. Yeah, with with like little cones on them, um, you know that is that is sort of a, a uh, unquestionably um, really dangerous stage finish um, with those unprotected, uh, you know, just bits of pretty pretty nasty traffic furniture sticking up. Whereas uh, this is these are just corners, right? And the pavement we're in Switzerland, so the pavement is pretty much perfect. Uh, <laughs> Like so, all Swiss infrastructure. Like all Swiss infrastructure, the pavement is perfect. So it's really just the corners. And as mentioned, these corners are, you know, not too much different from what you'll see in a lot of crit races, um, where you will have a large field, probably not, you know, pro tour, world tour, whatever um, field sizes. But on the other hand, uh, you're not going to have any fewer people contesting the sprint in a crit than in a world tour stage finish really because people who aren't in it are going to hang back yeah and that's a lot of people after a point so i don't know do you have an opinion to venture on whether this is dangerous i mean like we were talking about this a little bit um on the internets after it happened uh and i think that there's a lot of gray area here there, there is a ton of gray area because dangerous doesn't mean that this is going that that this finish is going to cause a crash. It, it means that the more you have finishes like this, 
the more you increase the probability that there will be a crash. Right. Right. You know, it's it sort of it's it's just you you accumulate opportunities for error and, and unforgiving, um, uh, unforgiving finishes or course features or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's some, eventually someone's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And like, you know, there there are reasons why. So, uh, bike racing, anything with a finish line, obviously sets up. Um, a system where where riders judge how many risks they're willing to take. You know, um, descents yep. do that, and you know. So in in other disciplines, in like cyclocross, for example, you can't have certain course features. You can't have downhill stairs. Um, right. And or you know be, because like certain riders are going to make bad decisions about what risks they are willing to put up with in order to gain an advantage and. Uh, there's a limit to how much the organizers are allowed to introduce that decision making into the race, right? Because some people are gonna, I like that's what bike racing is. It's it, that's not yeah. what bike racing is, but that is an undeniable element of certain aspects of like, yeah, how much risk are you willing to accept? How are you willing to dive bomb this corner in order to move move up? Um, how fast yeah. are you willing to take this turn on a descent? Right. Yeah. It's uh and it's it's more difficult like, to to control like something like this, right? Because you know, by all appearances it's fine, except that there are these pretty tight technical corners near the and, finish. I, and I think the only thing that, that, you know, gave me feels about the finish itself was just that it was like it's like just a little bit narrow and a little bit close to the finish. You know, if those were in like the final 300 meters, it, I think it would have been really different. But like, do you... but, but on the other hand, you know, to play devil's advocate, if you've got a corner that's uh, close to finish, then, um, you know, th- that's of course feature that, is favorable to some riders and unfavorable to others. Yeah, and it makes it really interesting because it it the guy who won was the rider first into the corner, and that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I you know we were we were we were chewing it back and forth, and you said like it would be a shame if there was a no technical finishes rule that was like oh you know every finishing straight must be at least three hundred meters long or like something along those lines. Like yeah, mm-hmm. that that would be a shame. Um. All the same, I, I think that like I'm not I'm not I'm not arguing that this finish was too unsafe or anything. I'm not sure what I'm arguing. I'm just kind of like chewing it over. But you know, I think it it is uh, less desirable to have um, a course design that requires riders to sprint into a situation where they'll need to immediately break. Yeah, and that's, yeah. and that's basically what this was. You know, like. That turn was just like a little bit too narrow for how close to the finish line it was. And, and one thing I'll note, because you know we mentioned that that something like this is not all that common in crit racing. Um, it, not all that uncommon. So that's what I meant to say. Yeah, not not Sorry, yeah, all okay. that not all that uncommon, not all that rare. Whatever in in crit racing. Uh, but of course, in a crit, you get to see th- this same sequence of corners dozens of times over the yeah. course of the race, uh, and that you know that that matters versus coming into it blind essentially like yeah you might have you might have uh watched a video of of 
someone driving it if it's an important stage. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you're you pretty much don't know what you're gonna get. Uh, so that's uh, that's kind of what amazes me. I have to say about these stage finishes in in big stage races and in such and stuff like that is that um, guys are doing this level of cornering and stuff without necessarily knowing what they're going to be getting. So the other thing that we were talking about, you know, and this, this goes back to not just the, not just like, the well, you know, before, before, um, before we get into that, maybe, maybe we should take a minute to actually introduce the show. Cause yeah. we've been, we've been <laughs> we, jabbering for a while. Our cold open. This is our, this is a long cold open. I, our, I definitely was like, Oh, let's just start this. And then like cold open and then continue the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A 20 minute cold open. That's a pretty, pretty lengthy cold open. Yeah. Well, you're, you're listening to everyone. <laughs> To the Honest Bicycle Program. <laughs> all Honest, All Bicycle. All Honest, All Bicycles. I'm Greg. I'm Matteo. And, and this is what we do here. This is what we do here. So so I, I, I want to... There is the conspicuous absence uh, of Frances. She's not with us this week. Uh, sorry. We ain't got no Frank. Ain't got no Frank. Um, she'll be back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that. Not like why Francis is here, just normal reasons. But um, Francis uh, on a bicycle race, but we're just talking about bicycle. Races. That's true. That's true. Well, well, so am I in theory. But uh, <laughs> that's maybe, maybe that'll be fun to describe my misadventures in bicycle racing in the last twenty four hours as we record this. Uh, you know, a couple weeks, <laughs> a week and a half or so by the time you get it <laughs> uh, to your listeners. But uh, yeah, the next time we get together might just be me and Francis. Uh, because Mario, um, I think this might be your last recording from Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's got to be. Um, we are. The pod has been dropped off. We have a living room full of boxes. We're not actually moving for two weeks, so <laughs> I hope we don't have anything that we need in these boxes. And I hope that everything that we do need can fit into a Honda Fit. Um, <laughs> you get a, you get another car. Yes, yeah, we're just gonna have to get a bigger one to. No, it'll be. It's good. It's good. Uh, yeah, we are moving. Heidi and I are moving to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's not like New York, New York. Uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> the state, the fine state of Philadelphia. We're moving to the fine state of Philadelphia. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, so anyway, what were, and we're what excited were you... because I hear that hashtag Philly is great for cycling. So you know, I'm gonna do some of that there. Oh, you're moving to a hashtag. It's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Hashtag. <laughs> yeah, you know, we rented a cute little hashtag in a nice little neighborhood. <laughs> hashtag neighborhood. Yeah. Oh man, can't wait to see your hashtag neighborhood. That's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm going to drive this joke into the ground. That's, we are gonna, that's what we do. Yeah. Dig up, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> All right. I have to. I have to. I have to explain that one. There's an episode of The Simpsons where I think it's a spoof on It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And at the end, they're all like digging for treasure. <laughs> and they realize that they've, there's no treasure. and They've just like dug themselves into a hole. And someone goes, we'll dig our way out. And they start digging furiously. And as the scene is fading out, you hear Chief Wiggum go, no, dig up, stupid. <laughs> nice. So are you going to actually now that you're moving back to the, the Northeast, I, I think it's fair to say that the. Philadelphia counts as the Northeast. Are you going to work on rekindling that uh, East Coast accent uh, and kind of drop the broad Midwestern uh, vowels that you've been Oof. living have with? I, do I have broad Midwest vowels? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you might have more than you used to is all I'm saying. I have definitely noticed some 
a couple a couple things happening to how I pronounce like a's that I don't that I'm not intended. Are are they pretty high in the mouth there? A. No, it's like um. I you know I my native accent is to pronounce like, um. Marry the verb and marry the name differently. Oh so yeah. A lot of people a lot of people do the, the the a thing where like you know people are getting married. Yeah, I don't. Out I here. mean, they're different. They're different words. They sound different. Yeah, well, they don't. They don't treat them as different words, and so that that a pronunciation is is really common out, here yeah. it is it's flattened out and and like in in all sorts of ways where you don't necessarily expect it to be and i've noticed like just occasionally that just like that comes out reflexively just a little bit in me and i'm like ah no i don't i don't want it <laughs> but i also never had a particularly strong new jersey accent yeah yeah new, Jer- new jersey in the <clears throat> sense that i'm boston yeah, you know? I I do have it. I do. Ha- I'm told that I do have it. Linguistically, eh. I have it. But linguistically, I, you have it. I've kept my I kept my R's. I I discovered that I can uh, make Jill a little crazy if I uh, start like talking full blown Boston. Uh, <laughs> she really hates that. <laughs> See, I prefer you know I, regional accents are, are cute. I love them. Um, I prefer personally like shibboleths and and specific usages oh, or yeah. usages that are really specific to uh to certain areas and I'm I'm looking forward to like I don't know if there's a big Jewish population in Philadelphia but there's not one in Minneapolis and I'm looking you know having spent so much time in New York you know growing up just outside for a long time like I miss uh Jewish words just being part of uh Oh you, this, isn't, this isn't a, this isn't a Jewish word but uh Man, you're gonna be you're gonna be eating hoagies. I'm eating hoagies. You Philly cheesesteaks. Yeah. <sighs> there's I miss like good hoagie shop. There's I am gonna be living not far from a big Italian market, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh be great. Oh. Mwah. Yeah. Kiss kiss tips yeah. of fingers and let them fly away. That's uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See uh correcto. <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, bikes, bikes, bikes. Bikes. So I understand. Uh, there's one last thing I want to say about the Danny Van Poppel thing, and, yeah, and this yeah. goes back. This goes back to um, not the not the safety of the finish, but you know Van Van Poppel's decision to, to try that move, and kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the um when we were we referred to a crash in the final corner of the Criterium at uh, the Redlands Bicycle Classic. Yes, we we talked about that for a good long while, and. You know, it, it sort of looked like this one rider pedal struck, and um, I I may have made a joke like, oh, that's what happens when you have like stage racers, you know, crits and stage races, and stage racers are like trying to race crits. <laughs> you know, they don't know how to corner properly or something. I don't actually believe that like professional cyclists don't know how to corner properly. I'm just yakking about this. But your attitude was like, yeah, but you know, you come through the final corner second wheel in this crit at this big race what are you gonna do not pedal through like not try and keep your speed as you prepare to launch a sprint and yeah that's a really good point and like danny van papa you know like he's he's fourth wheel going in the last corner in this sprint like what are you gonna do like not try and win this stage yeah yeah like who's behind you like like it's two quick step guys 
uh, one Saxo Tinkoff, whatever the team is, guy, and one Skyrider. Like, you're it. So, and there's also only, you know, in the only way, if you're Danny Van Poppel and you've got Gaviria and Sagan in your group with you, the only way you're beating them in a sprint is if you come out of that corner a lot faster. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So. And and it's worth a shot. You're Danny Van Poppel. You're in a sprint with Peter Sagan and Fernando Gaviria and you see an opportunity to try and beat them. You take it like i don't think that people should try and dive bomb corners like that but i think it's perfectly understandable why he did yeah having having i mean you know i i referred to this earlier uh, i i did take myself out in a race yesterday um you know and not even at the finish <laughs> so i do really yeah so i actually i like just just saw just saw a word about this what's the deal there you're doing all right I'm fine, actually. I've 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 felt worse after races where I didn't crash, uh, to be <laughs> honest. Which is kind of weird because I I hit pretty hard. Yeah, I just I just got cocky. I I was it, it was mid race and I was looking to move up because like my problem is that like I'm pretty good at moving up, um, but I get shuffled back a little more easily than I'd like. Um, mm-hmm. So I was trying to regain some spots and there's this kind of sequence of turns on the back. This is the new course for the Leinster crit in the Longstroke Classic, which is actually an awesome course. It's really, really cool. Um, and there's this left-hander followed by almost immediately a right-hander. Uh, and then there's, like, another right-hander after that. And then, like, this kind of chicane weirdness. Um, and, and this was causing a lot of problems for people, this left-right sequence. But uh, I, I felt like I had it pretty dialed. Uh, but I uh, took the inside on the left, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to, like, just rail this uh right hander on the outside and 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 move up some spots and i i totally thought there was room to do that um and there totally wasn't basically and i just was you know screaming through the turn and then like i see the curb and realize oh i'm definitely gonna hit that curb uh if Mm. i do not do something (laughs) tremendous and so kind of tightened up my line as much as i could uh which wasn't enough and so then it was a matter of basically like getting on the brakes in a full lean and trying to save it uh which is not a situation you want to be in you know that's funny because i feel like in in so many sort of wide open crits the outside line is like a lot of people are trying a lot of people take the corner as if they're going much faster than they are and so the outside line is open and it's fast yeah and you know you were you were in a spot that it sounds like that was a probably a reasonable place to be, but it it seemed like a good idea at the time, um, mm-hmm. but it was not. Yeah, because a lot Man, of the, that, that is true. Say, a lot of the quite time, frankly, that, what it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was not. <laughs> it was not. Well, it, you know, it, it was the kind of thing where a lot of the time the outside line is kind of open. I'd been on the outside before, but um, kind of closer to the front of the race, and that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and this, this time it just, it was just a mistake. Uh, and this corner was like the corner where everyone was crashing, but yeah, I ended up, I ended up locking, locking up and and drifting into the curb side. It was so tall. (laughs) This curb. Did you say that you were coming in hot? I was coming in hot. I was coming in very hot. I was, uh, I was very excited. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was very not excited because I was like, 
odds of this ending well are very poor. So yeah, I, I hit the curb. I kind of like, I I didn't exactly go over the bars because my bike was like, I hit the curb sideways mostly. Because uh, at this point, my back wheel was sliding because um, I was braking really hard. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, and I kind of popped over, and apparently my bike did some pirouettes, which was uh, beautiful, I'm led to believe. Landed pretty hard on my head, um, and I don't know, but I, like, felt fine. Like, I landed on my elbow, which I noticed was bleeding, like, after I'd been riding up to get my free lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, I mean, not there was then a big stack up at the corner. I don't know how much of that was my fault. Um like, I do not believe me or my bike was still in the road, so I don't really quite know what happened there. Um, I feel, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I should feel guilty. Um, I kind of, to be honest, I don't. Just, I don't know why. <laughs> um, but I do feel stupid. Well. I'm glad you're not hurt. Is your bike yeah. hurt? Uh, my derailleur hanger got really badly bent. Uh, we've bent it. Steel. Uh, no, it's so the derailleur hanger is not. Uh, oh, okay. So you don't have a you have a, a hanger like a a separate a separate a, a detachable hanger. Yeah, detachable hanger, oh, and okay. it's a thick one. So we were able to bend it back. It's been bent a few times now. This mm-hmm. was the last time. You're, yeah, you're gonna want another. There's a noticeable crack. In it. <laughs> Which isn't great. Somebody's uh, training on their cross bike until that. Order uh, from my cross bike is not together, in. so that would be pretty bad. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I guess my other cross bike is together. My, but that's like my commute cross bike, which has like fenders and like long cranks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm fine. My helmet's ruined. That that makes me sad. Uh, your, I had your to... laser Z one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to buy another one of those. This is my third one. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, this one lasted less than a year. Uh, so that was that was about... Because I broke... They turns out they break pretty easily. I broke one in a cross race uh, mm-hmm. last fall. Um, not as badly as it turns out. Um, but yeah, you land on your head like at all. Even if it's like fairly gently, it'll break. Mm-hmm. I didn't land... Mm-hmm. I didn't land too Brent gently this time around so but yeah anyway um be careful out there <laughs> there are there are curbs and they are they are mighty so i i sympathize i guess what i'm saying is i i i can sympathize with uh you know mr van popple thinking you know i'm gonna set this up and i'm gonna rail it and it's gonna be awesome because sometimes you're like, <laughs> you know, I mean, how many how many crashes, right, are the result of being like, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be so awesome, and then hold my is, beer and watch this. Yeah, exactly. And then and then uh, it turns out to be less awesome than originally <laughs> planned. I feel like that's a that's a lot of uh, a lot of things. All right, that's probably enough of that. Uh, that's enough of that. Maybe actually, you you had a not exactly a crash story, but as long as we're talking about like breaking things, um, didn't you break? Didn't you break something expensive recently? Uh, yeah, I broke a a zip disc wheel. By disc wheel, I mean 
the kind of disk wheel that people use in time trials, not the kind of disk wheel that people use with a certain type of break. Right, right. Um, carbon fiber disk wheel. Yes, carbon fiber disk wheel. Um, the kind of thing that you don't want to break. And actually, you know, a lot of a lot of disk wheels are uh, pretty resilient. Um, I had another disk some years back that I took to track national championships, and TSA was a little bit uh, heavy-handed in exploring my bike case and putting it back together, and uh, the axle of my other wheel punched a little bit of a hole in the carbon fiber. And I took that to the, my local carbon fiber repair guy who was like, oh, yeah, here's what I'm going to do. This is a little, like, crack hole area. I'm going to sand it down, put a little filler in it, and basically put a carbon fiber Band-Aid over it. And I was like, giddy up. Um, this one, this disc, disc uh, is a little bit more modern and, and fancy. And so I guess the, the older zip discs are, you know, two plates of carbon fiber with a hub glued into the middle of it. Uh, the older ones are just sort of filled with like a foamy material, but the the newer, fancier ones are filled with this like honeycomb structure that makes them really light. But that that honeycomb structure uh, is structural. Um, yeah. So here's here's why I know this. So I was racing the fixed gear <laughs> classic here in Minnesota, which is like a regional to national level uh, track race. Um, it was really cool. It was really hard. We it started with uh, our usual Thursday night lights racing, and there were a bunch of people in from out of town. <clears throat> and then there were there were two days of this, you know, elite level racing. Uh, and the the reg list was so big that we had qualifiers for everything, um, which made for really difficult racing. You know, I'm an enduro, uh, which is to say, I race the long track races, which are five to thirty minutes, as opposed to under ten laps. <laughs> Um, so on, you know, on the second, second day of racing in a row, I had a, an elimination race, which is where they, every two laps, they pull out the last rider. But in order to race that race, I had to qualify for it. So, you know, I raised a qualifier and then this final race against really fast people from all over the country. And there was a points race, but there was a qualifier for the points race. So yeah, four, four races in one night is a lot. And then, you know, the next day, like same deal for a tempo and for a scratch race. And then Adam Madison, but I wound up doing, uh, 12 races in three days, which was a bit much, um, for my, my spirit to take. I mean, I know, but, that, I know that these are shorter than, uh, you know, a crit or something, but still they're short, but they're pretty all out. You know I mean? It was yeah. like 15, 15 minute long races where, you know, my, my average power is like, my, you know, at and above my threshold, so Ugh. they're just they're pretty, and not like riding threshold for fifteen minutes is is all that demanding. But when you're talking about you know a race where you're where you're you're jumping and thrashing and sprinting and then holding and following attacks and and sucking wind, you know, a race of of twenty people is really different than like a fast crit of like sixty or eighty or a hundred people. Yeah. Um, there's there's some room to hide, but there's not much room to hide, and the calculus is difficult because there might be some room to hide, and then you might realize that there's a gap, and you're not with anybody who can help you close that gap. And so either you need to get across it on your own, or your race is over right now. Yeah. Um. Anywho, uh, so Friday night, uh, first day of the Fixier Classic, second day of racing, um, the points race final. Um, and uh. We're racing at the National Sports Center Velodrome, which is an outdoor 250-meter wood track. The turns are banked at 43 degrees, 
Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Um, and there's a there's a moment in the race where you, you sense a little bit of a shiver, and then I, I hear and see a rider a couple wheels ahead of me go down. And what happens when there's a crash in front of you on a steep track, really on any track, but especially on a steep track, you go up track. You do not try and go down track because gravity is also taking that rider down track. You go down track, you're probably going to, you know, yeah. you can draw some, you can draw some like vector diagrams like they did in physics class when you were in high school, but like you're, you're going to be going right toward that rider. So you move up track, the rider's going to fall down track. Everyone gets through. Um, I, you know, I've had a couple crashes in front of me happen on tracks. Uh, and I generally like dislike crashing. So I do things like, huh. I don't, I protect huh. my, I protect my front wheel. Um, I don't overlap it often with like other people's rear wheels. And when I see that, when I see, when I feel that shiver happen in the field, I, you know, my, my instincts, my reflex start to kick in and I start to move up track. So homeboy crashed. I started to move up track pretty quickly. You know, you don't want to make like this big sweeping lateral movement because then you're going to replicate the same problem behind you. But mm. you go up track. Everyone's going up track. It has to happen. And I feel and hear on my rear wheel, whap, 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 um, which I, I really just thought was someone's front wheel, like their tire or their rim hitting my tire or my disc wheel, you know, the, the big surface. Um, you know, it felt like an overlap of maybe maybe a quarter of a wheel. Hmm. Um, turns out, when I got <laughs> off the bike, <laughs> when I got off the bike, I looked at my wheel, and it, so it turns out that that overlap was more significant, uh, <laughs> and it, it was it was like more than half the wheel being overlapped. So uh, the rider behind me, his his axle nut gouged this like 180 degree perfect semicircle in my disc wheel, like, through the carbon into that honeycomb structure that I talked about in unnecessary unnecessary level of detail five minutes ago. Mm. And uh, he had a tri-spoke on, a tri-spoke front wheel, and so that, that whap, whap, whap was also... It wasn't so much, like, his wheel hitting my wheel as it was his tri-spokes, like, coming around and hitting my axle. Just... So not only did his axle gouge out a semicircle from my disc wheel... But my axle took a big chunk out of one of his tri-spokes. Oh my god. And it just reminds me of the scene in The Simpsons where, like, Homer's... I think... I'm not sure if he's driving drunk or if he's coming home in a snowstorm or, like, a little bit of both. And he crashes into a car. And he goes, well, at least I got him as good as he got me. And he gets out and realizes that he, like, crashed into Marge's car in the driveway. <laughs> But yeah, so basically, that was also... in, a, in about a millisecond, you did about like what two thousand, three thousand dollars worth of damage. Yeah, there, thereabouts. Re retail, retail value. Yeah, retail value of these. Essentially, retail value of the wheels is what I'm yeah. talking about. And like you know, I would have no Which, no qualms yeah. about bringing this you know this wheel to a, a carbon fiber repair person and saying, hey, just throw a patch on it. I don't I don't mind using it. You know, I mean. This wheel had a couple a couple little travel dings in it, but but my zip homies were like, no, like if the if the honeycomb is damaged, like a patch isn't really gonna do it. And and like sure enough, you know, like this disc wheel is like out of true and wobbles and um, you know, it that. was weird. You know, I in the rest of the race, like I felt something kind of weird, but I didn't think that. I just thought it was like 
oh, you know, maybe my, my chain tension is a little bit lower than I thought it was or something. Do you ever but... feel if you've had actually, like, on that note, because I, I felt this a little bit again last night, do you ever, like, have, you know, a crash in a crit and get back in on the free lap or whatever in, like, even though your bike seems is like fine like something feels weird about it just because like your your head is kind of a little bit you know you not, crashed I mean, not yeah not necessarily because of crashes but i think i've had moments where like if i'm if i'm not sure that everything's set up right if there's that moment of doubt then i'm like yeah like i need to like check to make sure that like my brake pads are lining up or like i'm pretty sure i need to like just turn the rear uh the rear derailleurs barrel adjust you just get like this, these little bits of doubt and you think like all right I, I like i really want to stop and look up the bike to make sure everything's fine no but... well, i just i do get that slightly wobbly um or or like sense that like the back wheel's moving a bit more or something like that if something's mm-hmm. off on the, like because that happened yesterday when i got back in and, and it was like no no it's like my my shifting was screwed up but like mm-hmm Anyway, it just made me think of that. You felt that was, that was weird because it's like I was like, I know it's fine. Like you know, there's there's nothing obviously wrong, but um, it's like I'm hyper aware or something of like what's going on. For I think that I think that's it. Yeah, it's the it's the hyper awareness. Yeah. To... Yeah, because I remember after having a, a kind of a nasty crash at a local crit like four years ago, um, where I went to you know race the next day and I felt like I couldn't I couldn't corner because like it it felt. I felt I felt like I had no grip, you know, on my back wheel when really I was just like <laughs> nervous about Gun every drive, tiny yeah. little movement I felt. Anyway, that goes away. It's it just 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 curious. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a that's yeah. a bummer about uh, your fancy pants wheel. It's it's a little bit of a bummer, but. Yeah. It's it's a little bit of a bummer, but I don't know. I guess like, you know, I have I have a, a you know, carbon tubular another carbon tubular rear wheel that I could use. It's perfectly race serviceable, and mm. it's not it's not like you know I'm I'm out a bunch of money for this this particular wheel, due to due to a long story that I won't really get too into. And and I don't know. I guess you just can't you can't kick and scream too much. Like if I really want another wheel disc wheel buy another disc wheel and it's a bummer but oh well yeah. and like yeah yeah you know I, I guess it it all goes back to like in and you hear people on the internet repeating this a bunch like race only what you're you know willing to replace because something could happen and you know i i don't think that your your race bikes and wheels and gear should be precious because Something can happen, and it's it's different, and that's different from like being a, um, like one of those people who says that like you know crashes are inevitable, but like damage to bike parts is entirely possible in racing, in traveling. Like you put a bike on a roof rack or a trunk rack, or you know pack it into a an airline bag or throw it into a back of a car, and like you're gonna get dings, scratches, and your wheels are gonna get scuffed, like. If you want a pretty bike, like, you're just going to have to, like, keep it in your garage or your basement or your living room or your bike room or wherever you keep it and, like, only ride it and not, like, not race well, it, it, not jam on it, not travel with it, you know? It, it helps It helps in bike racing to to have a kind of a Buddhist perspective on it, right? <laughs> like, you must, you must release your uh, attachment to material things. 
you absolutely must release your attachment to material things uh it's you know <laughs> they are they are only material things and and they are not that is that is not the eightfold path <laughs> yeah so yeah it, and, and like that's not anything... to say like i i i like I like my bikes a lot. I like my race bikes, but they're also like no nonsense race bikes with like fairly cheap wheels and that sort of middle of the middle of the line drivetrains that like if they get messed up, like oh well, they're they're pretty replaceable. They're pretty replaceable and like not not too precious. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, that matters for anything. You know, I mean, like I, I, yeah. I yeah. broke the like the single most expensive like piece of bike you that I had and that can happen. That can happen. Yeah, you know, I broke my broke my helmet. You know, it's a lot cheaper than a disc wheel, though. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's that's just part of I don't know that that's one of the things that that happens. I mean, my race bike has kind of dings and scratches and and uh, uh, probably a couple uh, more after yesterday, huh? All over it. Oh yeah, yeah. There's actually before I race today. Um, I need to take a file or eh, maybe just some sandpaper to my uh, front rim. There's kind of a spot where <laughs> it interacted with the curb. Um, it's a little gouged. Uh, it it's just produces kind of a braking pulse. Uh, and I need to... Um, it's not, like, bad, but I, it seems like a place that could introduce, like, aluminum slivers into the brake pads more easily, and I don't really super want that. Yeah. So, so I'm going to do some... Uh, Give it some TLC before I go off and race race today. Cool. Cool. So yeah, I've got a I've got a shopping list now <laughs> of a few different things. But uh, luckily, that shopping list doesn't include like pieces of metal in my body or anything like that. Um, I've been down <laughs> that road, and and you know, honestly, I'd rather buy a helmet. So, yeah, I mean, know. helmets are just helmets are made to be replaced. Like if you they use are. it, you're gonna have to replace it. It's true. Dude, okay, so you should check out the laser. I mean, if you don't want to spend another two hundred dollars on a helmet, the laser blade is, you know, their mid-range model, and it's so good. Oh, the Z one is so beautiful. The Z one is really beautiful, and the blade has like almost all of the features, or not like features, but like the styling. It's super light. It's super well ventilated. It's better than the Genesis and the Helium, which were their like, which was Laser's like previous top-end models before they released the Z one. And the, yeah. the blade is like is is cheaper and better than the Genesis. It's like such an impressive helmet for, I think it retails for like ninety bucks or something. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'll check it out. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I wanted before we go, um, just to mention, uh, I don't have like a prepared thing to take uh, to talk about this, um, but it was on our initial itinerary, which is, uh, hey, I promoted or I I should say, you know, I helped promote a bike race. So, that's really yeah. cool. You know what I think we should do? I think we should. I think we should. Um, I think we should. Uh, we're bike racers, and we um, like have feelings about bike races and promotion. I think you know when you promote a bike race, you're you're on this different organizational side. I think we should like dedicate an episode to it for you to like talk about you know how it went and the things that that matter to you as a promoter and how you see things differently. Like yeah, than that's a good idea. the things that matter to you as a racer. Like I would really love. I'd really love to dive kind of deep into that. Cool. Well, then, then, then that, that's a good idea, and we should table it. So that might be a little while till we get to that. It'd be nice to have mm-hmm. all three of us um, talking about that. Sure. Um, and I think that that's kind of evergreen, so we can we can hit it in a month or so. And 
But you know, our listeners can feel free to email us at uh, honestbikeprogram@gmail.com if they have any questions about like what it's like to be a bike racer who like promotes a race. What what matters? What doesn't? I don't know. Yeah, that's so of so yeah. And on that note, on contact and stuff like that, just uh, I, I guess we'll leave some housekeeping stuff to finish up with. Uh, first of all, um, you know, you guys, uh, as we said, um, we really could use some some reviews for the podcast on iTunes. Uh, it helps a lot. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes. It came to my attention that for some reason, the links, um, the iTunes links that I had been providing were, were wrong and, and were actually a link to like our Libsyn or whatever page. I don't really know how that happened exactly. Um, Oops. <laughs> whoops. So, uh, yeah, you can also go to <laughs> iTunes and search for Honest Bicycle Program. You should find it that way. We're the we're only still, one out there. We're the only one out there. I think it's still listed as working as Honest Bicycle Program because I'm bad at technology and, and don't know how to change these things. But um, it's, it is worth noting that we are the only Honest Bicycle Program. It is true. None of the other ones are actually honest <laughs> in any way. So, so yeah, go there. Leave us a review. Um, it, it can't happen this week because she's not here, but uh, rest assured, Francis will still read your review out loud in uh, a strong bad voice or something like that um, Funny that, voice. that offer stands <laughs> so you've got more time to get in there leave your five stars uh and your fawning or i don't know not so fawning but fawning is good reviews uh of the show uh and yeah with that we're coming to you on the wide angle podium network we should mention that as well um wide angle podium is a collection of cycling related podcasts uh we are, you know, all in this not because uh, we're getting rich, but because we like bringing you great content about bikes and racing, uh, both kind of from an amateur, uh, you know, racing and commuting and lifestyle sort of sense like we do and talking about pro racing, um, you know, as kind of fans like the Slow Ride po- podcast, uh, uh, talking about uh, talking to you know, professional cross riders like uh, Bill Shiken does on Crosshairs Radio uh, and about professional cross racing um, and all that cool stuff. So all these shows and more. Uh, of course, Adam Meyerson um, has the Meyerson line um, doing uh, interviews with uh, people from, you know, I would say his racing days, but uh, he, he's still racing as it turns out, just, uh, you know, on a slightly less official level. Um, but people he knows from you know many years of bike racing and, and having some interesting conversations with them. All of these things, um, as I mentioned, none of us are doing this to get money. We we just want to bring you good stuff. But you know, if you want to support us, that's really awesome. You can do that. Go to wideanglepodium.com, click on the donate um, button, <coughs> or become a member. Um, there'll be things like uh, bonus content in and things uh, of that nature for you. Uh, as a way of saying thank you. And we'll have to figure out what we're going to do. Um, last year we did this really cool thing where we talked about uh, the Tour de France on a weekly basis. We had a Velo Games League going. It was fun. Um, we really enjoyed it. That's not really logistically possible this year. <laughs> uh, there's a lot There's a lot going on. <laughs> but we'll come up with something awesome. Maybe, maybe Maddie will prepare a special report from... Uh, from track nats uh, i'm going to see if i can get down there i'm sort of not clear yet uh on, on what's happening there but uh yeah yeah so wideanglepodium.com we have a great summer coming up yeah it's pretty it's pretty exciting for everyone and i know that you're going to be super busy man but uh should be you know i'm, I'm pretty excited about 
the places you're going and the things you're doing. Me myself. too. Me too. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to life in Philly. But yeah, we got the, the move in Philly and then track Nat's coming up pretty shortly thereafter. And then some weddings and then Heidi starts a new job. It's, oh, so many Ooh, yeah, and then and then uh, I don't know. There's more. There's gonna be more opportunities for kind of uh, in person. Uh, not like you know, Philadelphia isn't close to uh, Boston. It's it's close enough that we can go to the same places at the same time. It's, so, for yes. example, I heard that you need a pit crew at for some cyclocross bicycle race that's happening in Hartford <laughs> in January. I'm pretty excited about that. Not gonna Dude, lie, you, you could have a B bike and a C. I could bring a cross bike, and you could have. Two spare bikes. Oh, wow! I'm gonna be like the most. I'm gonna be half a lap. I'm gonna be the most masters masters racer in the baby masters race. You're 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 gonna race thirty to thirty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not racing elites. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! I know my limits. Yeah, I know my limits. Those dudes, some of those dudes just showed up to uh, to Long's show uh, last night and, you know, will be for the rest of the weekend. Ben Frederick is living in Massachusetts now. Uh, good cross racer. Can pedal pretty hard. Uh, Hyde was, Stephen Hyde was there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Meyerson, obviously. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was pretty wild. Uh, going to be going to be fun times. I, I don't know if uh, I think I don't know if J-Pow is available this weekend he's, he's done these before but but he might not be there uh ellen noble uh in the women's race uh it was it was pretty scary when they were doing the call-ups last night for the men's pro race <laughs> i was really really glad i wasn't in that race uh brad huff showed up <laughs> oh yeah i got a chance to chat with him briefly before the st paul crit he was uh, out here for the north star grand prix yeah cool cool well it's been i don't know 58 minutes or something um 57 minutes i don't know so that's probably a show that's a show um thanks folks for listening along with us greg always a pleasure Um, people can people should feel free to like you know tweet at us email us we you know we we like to chat and yammer about um our opinions and we you know we welcome people saying uh you got this right you got this wrong so you can tweet at us at Honest Bicycle. You can email us at honestbikeprogram at gmail.com. And uh, I'll holler back at you. Yeah. We'll have a good time. Leave us a review on iTunes, as Greg said. Check out the Wide Angle Podium Network. Good stuff. Thanks for listening along. Alrighty. Well, with that, so long, and we'll catch you next time. Later. Later.